0: Before I begin, I need to preface my remarks by saying that I don't like raisins. It's important to know. In fact, I think of oatmeal raisin cookies as a kind of mean-spirited bait and switch. They look like chocolate chip cookies, but then turn out to be something more like a healthy breakfast than dessert which is actually how I learned to dislike raisins. My very earnest parents always packed those tiny boxes of sun-made raisins in my school lunch. So while other kids had the high trading value foods like sandwiches on white bread, I had tuna on whole wheat with raisins, which I could not pay anyone to take off my hands. Now, all this dates me to a certain degree. Of course, I don't think anybody has Wonder Bread sandwiches anymore, which I really wanted. But I'm guessing that I'm not alone in having school lunch angst. Those childhood memories run deep, no? So this week, I have been pondering Jesus telling us that we are like fruit-bearing branches of the grapevine that he is and all I can think about is, at the end of the harvest, we'll have way too many great raisins and not enough chocolate chips. Such is the kingdom of God. And I'm not kidding about that. Whatever the kingdom may be, it will surely be different from what I want or expect. Now, of course, Jesus didn't actually mention raisins in John's gospel. I'm pretty sure he was thinking about grapes and wine, which have deep symbolic resonance in our tradition. Throughout the Bible, the vineyard appears as a metaphor for God's people, capable as we are of both faithfulness and faithlessness. There are some wild vines out there, as Isaiah once pointed out, but then they have the capacity to choke off the good ones. But God longs to tend the vines, as the Bible attests, because God wants people to bear the fruit of wisdom and justice. Now, Jesus would have expected his hearers to know all that, but In this case, he was using the vineyard metaphor to describe not just the outcomes, but also the connective structure of faithful lives. We don't get the grapes of righteousness without healthy branches, which need to be connected to a good vine, which requires thoughtful pruning and good soil and plenty of water and sun at the right times of year. The grapevine depends on a long chain of interrelated ecological, anthropological, agricultural conditions break the connection anywhere, and the branches don't bear good fruit. So to live well with God, to bear and to be the fruit of wisdom and justice, we have to stay connected to our source. Which for John was Jesus Christ, who loved us first that we might love as he did. And this message is utterly congruent with the other lessons we heard today. The first letter of John calls us to abide in the love of God in order that we share that love with sisters and brothers. Love has to flow like sap through the vines, if you will, or the community can neither flourish nor bear fruit. And then there's that weird and wonderful first lesson from Acts. An angel sends the deacon Philip out on a wilderness journey where he encounters a traveling African bureaucrat. Now, the Ethiopian is both a foreigner and a sexual minority, which made him like something of a wild vine in the Hebrew tradition. That's because the law excluded men with damaged genitals from full participation in temple worship. But the genuine curiosity of the Ethiopian eunuch started the flow, so to speak, of Philip's interpretation of Scripture. And then it became the outsider who recognized that our connectedness to God in Christ, not unlike healthy grapevines, needs irrigation. Look, here is water, he said with a kind of naive enthusiasm. What is to prevent me from being baptized? Now, I don't actually know very much about vineyards beyond their richly symbolic meaning in our tradition, and that and the fact that they sometimes surround lovely tasting rooms in the Willamette Valley. But I do know a thing or two about water. I grew up in the heavily exploited Colorado River watershed, and I studied urban water and sanitation a bit in graduate school, and one thing I learned along the way is that very few of we urban dwellers know where our tap water comes from, or how it gets to us. What is the long chain, interconnected chain of hydrological and human conditions that keeps water flowing to our sinks and showers? And it's worth pointing out that for most of human history, and indeed most of the world even now, water doesn't just show up at the tap. Most people still travel long distances to carry water home in buckets or pails. Water sources are hard to reach and easy to damage. That's why our Trinity volunteers who visit Nicaragua work so hard to build latrines and protect watersheds. If you've ever been responsible for getting your own drinking water, which I did during the five years I lived in Nicaragua, You know it matters what source you're connected to. It has to be clean and reliable, and you have to take care of it. So if the vine metaphor is not the most convincing to you, you might think of yourself as the watering can and Jesus Christ as the well, or perhaps there's some other image of deep connectivity that reminds yourself of your relationship to the source that is God. I want to invite you to think imaginatively, as Jesus himself obviously did, about what keeps you close. Whatever it be, know your source. Care for your connection. It's a matter of life and death. While I may not know exactly what that life-giving relationship with the Holy One is for you, I do know what it's not like. It's not like a raisin drying up for lack of connection to the vine. It's it's not like a bathroom faucet where we retreat to get our personal private supply. It's, It's much more like a vineyard growing from the one field we all share, this fragile earth, our island home. It's much more like a village well cared for, and shared in community. Speaking of which, last weekend, a bunch of ministry leaders gathered in Kempton Hall to think about what connects us most deeply at Trinity. Using the metaphor of pathways, Dean Nathan invited us to think about whether we are drawn toward the practice of uncommon warmth, what the ancient church called koinonia, or toward intellectual curiosity or holy compassion, or deep beauty, those being the Kerygma, diaconia, and Laeturgia of the ancient church. Now, whether or not you attended the town hall, I offer you the invitation to discern where and how you are most connected to this place, because we are the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. As our presiding bishop says, we are God's vineyard in this corner of Portland. We grow and thrive because we tend our connection to God and to one another. This life giving interconnection that John speaks of does come with both a promise and a warning, however. When it flows like water, like sap in the vine, it almost always takes us places we didn't plan to go. Philip knew what his source was, and because of that, he wasn't afraid to share it with someone who defied the conventional categories of righteous personhood. Nathan knows what his source of the is, and because of that, he's not afraid to follow his husband into a culture he was initially averse to. Jerry knows what his source is, and because of that, he's generous to share coffee and cookies with protesters who proclaim hate. Mary knows what her source is. And because of that, she listens for God in the stories of homeless people. Pam and Tim know what their source is. And because of that, they lead us into relationship with the immigrant other. Rule knows what her source is. And from it flow love, words of love and encouragement to those who are hurting. I know what my source is, too, which compels this daughter of two quite committed atheists to stand before you and say with confidence that God longs to be connected to you and abide in you. You are not lost. You are God's treasured possession. You are not alone. You are the sheep of God's own flock you are not a raisin. You know I had to say that, right? (laughs) You, you are the well-loved branches of the vine where the grapes of wisdom and justice grow. Amen.